In today's episode of Revival Podcast, we're looking at the connection between revival and prayer. And I'm delighted to be joined by James Ladrin of Prayer Storm. Welcome to the Revival Podcast with me, Steve Uppal. I am absolutely delighted to be joined today uh, by James Aladrin from Prayer Storm. James, welcome. Thank you for giving your time to be a part of this program today. Thank you, Steve, for having me. It's just great to have a space where we can talk about moves of God and revival. And I'm just excited that we're going to get to talk about that. And I really honor what God's done in your life over the years. So it's such an honor and privilege to be on this podcast with you. Hey, thank you. It's an honor. Uh, we've met over the years a number of times. Uh, you've been to Wolverhampton. You've spoken for us at one of our youth conferences. And then when Lou was with us a few years after that, you were here again. And we, we kind of bumped into each other a lot of spaces. And we've got a lot of mutual friends. But I have watched over the years your life kind of accelerating on this incline in terms of the Lord raising your profile, uh, seeing your name pop up in different conferences and just thinking, wow, God's hands on that young man. And so I'm delighted for us to be able to do this uh, together today. As way of introduction, you're married to Rebecca. I know she co-leads with you in Press Storm. Uh, you have two children, uh, Justice and Evangeline. And so I, I just say hats off to anybody who's managing ministry, family, marriage, parenting, uh, honor you for that. And I know you do that well from just watching a few things that I've seen kids involved around that presence place and that they have a hunger for it as well. I think I heard you make a comment when we did something with Mark Pugh last year. Uh, I think it was your one of your children said to you, uh, why can't we do this longer? Or why can't we keep it going? I think it was something like that. Yeah, You're doing, yeah. You ended up doing over a hundred nights of prayer and worship in a row. Uh, so absolutely love all of that. Um, Prayer Storm is a movement of worship, prayer, fasting, uh, which exists to provoke a spiritual awakening by raising an army of praying warriors. Uh, I mean, I love all of those words in there, an army, awakening, mm -hmm. uh, provoking people, a storm of prayer going on. I think you've done amazing to put all that into one sentence. <laughs> uh, and helping people really encounter God yeah. and learn the power of strategic prayer. So this podcast is focused on revival, but I do, I'm aware that with you on today, we're going to go down the theme of prayer and revival today. But let me begin by asking you, what do you see concerning the coming revival? Lots of conversation about it. People see different parts, and I do believe we all see in part and know in part. So I'm always interested in what others see because it completes the picture or at least uh, gives me a fuller picture of what God is speaking to his body. So what do you see concerning the coming revival? Well, I see something far greater than anything we've ever known before. I love the scripture in the Old Testament that says the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. And if you translate that into the kind of New Testament context uh, of the church, I believe the glory of the church uh, before Jesus returns, for the second coming of Jesus will be far greater than the glory of the church in the uh, earlier parts of the book of Acts and the beginning of the book of Acts, because we're going to go from glory to glory, right? And so if that's the case, I believe what's coming fast as uh, 
exceeds anything we have read about, anything we have seen uh, in, in history, uh, even in scripture. Combining those together, I believe we're just going to see an explosion of the power, the presence of God uh, like we have never seen before. And that challenges me because when I read about the people that God used to prepare the moves of God, like even the book of Acts or in history, and I'm like, wow, if God had to prepare them that way, how much more is he going to prepare us? And, you know, what kind of requirements and consecration will he be calling us to if we're going to host that dimension of his glory and his presence and his power in our day? That's if we're going to see that explosion in our day, you know, before Jesus returns. And so I'm really seeing something like we've never, ever experienced before. In fact, it's very hard to articulate it. It's very hard to put words to it. Apart from the fact that there is a groaning to lay my life down to be part of, you know, the army that will prepare the way or will be used by God in that move. Yes, I want to be used by God in that move, but I don't think it's just a one-man show. I believe there's an army that has been raised up. Another thing I do see is Joel 2.28 where it says, uh, I'll pour my spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams and young men will see visions. And so in there, I see like three generations, you know, sons and daughters, old men and young men. And so I see that the move of God that's going to be released, the outpouring of the spirit in these last days that we're contending for is going to be multi-generational. You know, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That it's not just going to be the old folks kind of just running because of the, all the experience they have. I also believe the young ones, the teenagers, the young adults, and the children are going to be absolutely vital. And if that's the case, then they need to be prayer warriors right now as well. So, yeah. so those are some of the things I'm, 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 that stir in my heart. So as a ministry, we've also had an emphasis on seeing young people arise in the place of prayer. Because oftentimes, you know, they're like, well, I guess for the older people, you know, you know, they're mature and they know God better and they can pray all the long prayers. But we want to see more young people arise in this place of uh, intercessory prayer. And I believe that's key in preparing the way for what's coming. Yeah, very, very good. Yeah, we haven't spoken about this uh, pre-today. And it's interesting, much of what you're saying is much of what we're sensing that what we see in the Book of Acts, what we see in the Great Awakenings, what we see with John Wesley and Methodism, what we see with William Booth, they're all mighty moves of God or Azusa Street or the Welsh Revival. Uh, but over the last few weeks, I've been kind of, the phrase going through my mind has been, they were a foretaste. Uh, they were just shadows, echoes of what God is about to do. And that Jesus' first miracle of turning water into wine was actually a prophetic sign of what's coming at the end, that he always saves the best till last. And so we can expect greater glory, greater uh, sense of harvest coming in through what God's about to do. So I, I love the sense of um, unity that in, in what you're sensing, what I'm sensing, it's, it's confirmation to me uh, and it's an encouragement to me. So yeah. that, that in a snapshot is what's coming. And I've spoken about that in other uh, podcasts and we will do so again. Um, if we look at pathways, in other words, that's what's coming. Uh, and some people in the church would say, so do I sit back and wait for a sovereign God to do what a sovereign God will do when he wants to do it? Or is there a way, is there a pathway? And if there is a pathway, what could we be doing now in preparation for or even in pulling towards what God wants to do? 
Oh, yeah, that's a great question. There is a pathway, and I believe that we've already touched on some of it. Prayer is it's one of the main, in fact, the starting point, definitely. And there are other things on top of that. It's not just prayer. It's also lifestyle. However, I want to I just touch briefly on James 5, you know, where it talks about Elijah. He said, Elijah was a man just like us, and he prayed earnestly that it will not rain, and did not rain. And then he said he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruits. And so... For the heavens to give rain after three and a half years of uh, uh, of no rain, uh, that happened because prayers left the earth. Prayers left the earth, the rain came down. And when the rain came down, it said that there was that the earth produced its fruits. And one of the things I see in that is that means there had to be seed in the ground. So some farmers were faithful to keep sowing in the dust when there was no rain. And prayer is preparing the ground. And there are times where, like many of you, maybe you've been praying and contending and, and crying out for a move of God, but you've not seen the manifestations of it. I believe it's like incense arising, like it says in Revelations, and the bowls have been filled. And we are going to see at a point where that bowl is starting to tip over and there'll be an explosion. Like we're sowing our prayers into the ground right now, so to speak. But if we keep going and don't stop, the rain is coming. And when the rain comes, there better be seed in our ground. So I believe prayer is the starting point. Because as this is what I realized in the early days, as the Lord began to just stir my heart to seek him, as you begin as you begin to seek God in prayer and say, oh, God, revive the nation. You know what it starts to do? It starts to revive you. It starts to show you areas of your heart that need aligning. It starts to show you areas where it needs you to be more consecrated to him. And so actually it starts with you you. And that is the starting point where God begins to make you and prepare you into the vessel that he can use. Quickly, you think about John the Baptist as well. He was like a revivalist type uh, figure in scripture because he prepared the way for a move of God, Jesus. Now, he had to be prepared for many years in the desert. And that was his consecration. He was set apart from all the distractions just for the purpose of being that clear voice so that when he spoke, the nation noticed and he, he had authority in the realm of the spirit. And so I believe the same kind of concept is why I see God doing now. And the major pathway is a life of prayer. As we begin to pursue the Lord in all honesty, sincerity, and integrity, he begins to deal with our hearts. And the amazing thing about this is, Steve, when you begin to pursue the Lord, and I begin to pursue the Lord in the place of prayer, and the other believer begins to pursue the Lord, we begin to find different expressions based on his unique callings on our lives and his dealings with us. So God might start to speak to me about a certain way I need to consecrate myself in preparation for the revival he's called me to be a part of, but the things he speaks to me will be different to the things he speaks to you about. And it's not, it's not so much like I take the personal dealings of God and I just make that mass thing and try to replicate that in everyone. That becomes religion. It's as you begin to pursue the Lord in the place of prayer, he begins to prepare you based on your part to play in the move of his spirit that he's, he's about to release. Yeah, very, very good. I mean, what, uh, I mean, I love all of that, and I, I love the comment you made, and maybe just we'll, we'll touch it for a moment, is when we talk to God, God starts to change us and revive us first. So we might be praying for the nation, and all of a sudden we find ourselves being challenged. Which So I would agree with you 100% that prayer is the main pathway. It's the beginning pathway, but it, it can also lead to a pathway of holiness and yes. purity, Yes, it, it, a consecrated life. But consecration holiness without relationship prayer actually becomes legalism so i'm trying to live holy and i'm trying to pray so that i can find pathways and the lord is i guess what you're saying is he's saying come be with me talk to me carry the burden i have and out of that relationship all of a sudden we begin to be transformed is that the Absolutely. your kind of 
Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. The, the relationship is the starting point. I heard many years ago, and uh, this this saying, and it really stuck with me, that rules plus regulations minus relationships often equals rebellion and resentment. And say that again, and say it slower. <laughs> rules plus regulations minus relationships, or minus relationship equals rebellion and resentment. And it, it's actually true in life. It's just an equation that you you even think about it is actually true. For many people that have come to faith and have just been stuck in rules and regulations, don't do this, don't do that, and they've just listened to rules, but they haven't allowed those boundaries that we call rules to come out of relationship, they've ended up in a place of burnout, discouragement, distraction, whatever it is, you know, uh, just, just being resentful at God. But when it comes from the place of love, because God is speaking to you about it, and that's your response in love to Him, then it's a whole different thing, and a good way to look Look at that. It's Jesus, when he went into the desert, he went to, to fast and pray, rather. He went into that desert, and that was, yeah, as far as we know, he had never done that fast that he was about to go into. The Spirit led him into doing that. And when he did that, it's a difficult thing to do, but he did it from love, not for love. So the Father said, this is my son and I, I, in whom I'm well pleased. And then, boom, he sent him to the desert, into the, probably the most difficult time he's experienced. No food for 40 days. But all that was no spiritual activity to earn anything, it was coming from the place of his security and the love of God. So in the same way, when we pray, when we see God, and when we consecrate ourselves, it's, it should come from the place of love and not for the place. And it's a subtle shift, but I'm telling you, it's wrecked many people's journey with God because yeah. they just have, they're doing all these things and it comes striving to earn something. And I often say, if you pray more, God is not going to necessarily love you more. If you pray less, God's not going to love you less. Now you might experience his love differently because you're not creating room for it, but his love for you is consistent. Your prayer and your fasting is not trying to earn anything from him. You're just preparing yourself to receive what he's already made available uh, uh, to you. So it's so key to have that kind of settled as we start. What if somebody's listening today and they're saying, it's easy for you to say, I feel no love. I know I should pray. I know I should be doing all of these things, but actually there's nothing in me that has the desire. I don't feel loved and I don't feel love. Where do they start? Oh, I love this. Uh, uh, that's a great uh, uh, question. And I know lots of people feel that. I felt that many times as well. Uh, I love this quote I heard from my Biko years ago. It takes God to love God. And the fact that it is God that works in you to will to do according to his good purpose. So oftentimes I actually pray, say, Lord, stir in me hunger. Now, in fact, I've just remembered a story of my uh, little boy when he was around two, three years old. My wife and I were praying together. And so he, uh, you know, he's so energetic and so full of life. My wife said it, it, it takes after me. I, I don't know if that's true, but let, let's move on that. Because he, and he's so stubborn as well. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on. So he, he was just being, you know, playing around and I was trying to keep him still just so that we could just have this nice, <laughs> you know, kind of proper prayer time without him throwing things around, making a mess. And my wife said, you know, just let him do whatever, you know, just let him go. So I let him go. And, you know, after a while, everything was quiet. And if you've got kids, you know, when it goes quiet and you don't, and you can't hear anything, they're definitely up to something. In fact, just yesterday, something really terrible happened. And it was just when they were just so quiet, like, hmm, it's been quiet for a while. What's going on there? We went upstairs and it's just a whole mess. It painted the TV and <laughs> anyway, let's, 
<laughs> Let's move on. So he went quiet at this point and I thought, oh gosh, something is up. And so I started looking for him around and I, I found him in the bathroom. In the bathroom, he was playing with the toilet roll. The toilet roll had fallen into the toilet. He picked it up from inside the toilet and guess what? He was sucking on it. <laughs> <laughs> at that point I was like oh no so my wife heard me screaming and she came in and she's like what's happened and I was like ah and she's like oh he's thirsty and I'm like what do you mean he's thirsty I can't really wrap my head around that response to this <laughs> and so so we laugh about it now but later on I was in the conversation with some friends and this revelation hit us this generation is thirsty, but we're drinking from the toilet. And the point is, God has put thirst in our hearts for him. So if you're not feeling his presence, it's not his fault. You're already full, but on the wrong diet. We all have appetite. Even the unbelievers, they have appetite. God has put that appetite in them for him. And you can fill it up with other stuff. So when I am not sensing the nearness of God, it's not God's fault. Often it's my flesh. And sometimes I've been feeding on other things that have taken that place. And so when I come to a place of prayer, I'm already full. Full, but on the wrong diet and I need my appetites recalibrated and fasting is a great way to do that. Uh, very, very good. That's a great response. And, and I love the fact that when we do take the step towards God and decide to stop snacking on the world, that the Lord is quicker to meet with us than we would be to meet with him. He's a, he's a loving, gracious heavenly father. And just, I, I've got a number of other questions, but prayer, talking to God, there's all kinds of petition, thanksgiving, intercession. It, what kind of prayer are we talking about? It, do I have to get complicated or person watching? Is it, is it just whispering sweet nothings to Jesus? Is it carrying a burden? What, uh, you know, for somebody who's just learning to pray or only ever prayed for their own needs, like, Lord, bless my dad, bless my mom, bless my kids. Help me not to, you know, help me find a parking space today. We want to, if we're graduating beyond that, what does that look like? What kind of prayer should we be praying? Yeah, so that, again, that's a great question. I would say the starting point for me when I talk about this to people that are struggling to pray is I'll call it intimacy with God. Um, intimacy has to be the foundation for your prayer life. When I say intimacy, I mean a nearness of communion. And sometimes it's in words and sometimes it's not in words. Just like I can spend time with my wife and we don't have to say anything, but we're together and just sat together. And there's a sense of fulfillment that can come from just the being in together. You know, it says be still and know. There is a being. And many people don't know how to be still with God. And actually, you know how oftentimes you can tell how comfortable you are with a person by how you maintain silence. Islands. And so people don't know how to get to that place of still. And if you think you're that still, well, try to be quiet in the presence of God and see really how internal, how much internal noise there is oftentimes. And so when I say intimacy with God, I'm trying to say it's not necessarily just words, but that is the starting place. And one of the great ways to connect in intimacy with God is worship. You know, and, and again, worship and prayer, two sides of the same coin. So a starting place to kind of get yourself connected with God is to spend time with him. Spend time with him disconnected from needs, disconnected from any other agenda. Just, Lord, I'm just here to be you. If it's 20 minutes, if it's 30 minutes, I mean, we've got so many worship, you know, resources, anointed leaders that, anointed worship leaders and music that can aid us in these kind of times. You alone with God, no agenda, just presence is presence. And then from there, that's where everything else should come. In fact, I believe from there is where you should be able to read the scriptures with greater revelation because in the place of intimacy, I believe the Holy Spirit can impart our hearts with 
revelation and begin to open our eyes to see things that we would not naturally see if we're just reading from an intellectual point of view, the scriptures. And so that place of intimacy is foundational. And then, you know, Romans 8 says, for we don't know how we should pray. This is so key because there is a need to acknowledge our deficiencies. It doesn't matter how many years we've been in prayer. It doesn't matter how many books are written on prayer. I mean, it's, we need to acknowledge our human deficiency as far as praying effectively is concerned. And I think that humility opens us up for the Holy Spirit to come alongside us and empower us. And oftentimes we step into what we call intercession. And many times that can happen in praying in tongues. Other times it's happening in your understanding. But it's the spirit empowered prayer. These are the prayers that make the difference, not the intellectual ones. Now, I'm not trying to say you can't release your petition to God and say, oh Lord, I need this. That's good. But I'm talking about prayers that pertain to his purposes, God's agenda. Those are spirit empowered prayers. And I find in my experience, those often come because of a foundation where I'm actually having a relationship with God. And then he starts to entrust me with things that own his heart. Just like Abraham, when he was interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, from the place of intimacy with God, God, God starts to say, how can I keep something from Abraham? And then boom, God starts to tell him stuff. And then boom, Abraham starts to ask, okay, God, can you do this? You see, you see what I mean? So I love that. And I, I, I just emphasize that. Uh, I call it, sometimes I call it catching the wind of the spirit. You know, you, you've been praying, you're faithfully praying. You know that the Lord's got you to pray these things. You might be pray reading the scriptures. And then all of a sudden you hit a place where there's just life and you're going, I, I would say you're going off it sounds like on a tangent, but it's not. But it's the spirit kind of burdening you with something. And you can be there for, for minutes or an hour. But as long as there's life in it, it's that engagement with the heart of God and the will of God that starts to bring uh, real answers to prayer. You know you're praying the mind of God there. So let me, let me ask you another question. Um, a number of churches and ministries and people may do like they fast at the beginning of a year. Like for us in uh, all nations, we fast 21 days at the beginning of a year, 21 days in September to at least have two kind of anchors uh, for a, a prayer. Uh, and many of us do other things, which I'll mention in a moment. But how do you sustain kind of not just I did my praying thing at the beginning of the year or I did three days with my church? But how do you sustain a life of prayer, a life of worship, a life of fasting uh, five years after you started, 10 years after you started? So not, you're not in it for a short term because there's a buzz about revival, but you're, you're in and you're locked in for a long period of time. How do you do that? I, I'm asking a young man that who's been doing it faithfully, um, but I'm sure it's a question you're wrestling with. And it, it, even to be committed for five years in something is, is hugely uh, countercultural in today's church culture. Absolutely. And yeah, we've been doing, uh, we've been, uh, Preston is, I forgot how old now, 2009 is when we started. And, you know, the fact that we've been over 10 years. So not, you, you're not as young as I thought. Yeah. <laughs> you, you're a seasoned minister in the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Lord, have mercy on me. Help me, Lord. <laughs> so it's been over 10 years we started Preston. And I look back and it, for me, it's a testament to the faithfulness of God 
And the fact that God had, by his grace, enabled me to lay some good foundations that right now I'm more passionate about praying than ever before and seeking him and revival and all these things. And the, the, the system or one of the, I guess, concepts and the way I approach praise is important for me to keep that longevity. The foundation of a thing is absolutely key. If you want to build a skyscraper, you have to have the right foundation compared to if you want to build a duplex. And so having the right foundation is key. And again, coming back to that place of intimacy with God, for me, that has often been the anchor because, you know, I've been praying for revival. I've been contending for certain things and some things I've seen and some things I've not seen. In fact, many things I haven't seen. But what keeps me encouraged and what keeps me going, because many people kind of burn out because of discouragement and because of just the crisis, life issues, you know, circumstances. They, it just causes them to lose focus on God. What's kept me going in, in and out of those kind of winds of the spirit, as you call it, has been the commitment to the connection to be with God regardless. And I found that that place of often stirred up my hunger. Now, there's not every time I pray that, you know, it's an explosion and I'm feeling the presence of God and it's amazing. However, because that has become my priority, I often surround myself with things that stir up hunger for that place. And so when I feel like I'm drifting or when I feel like the hunger levels are low and things are feeling a bit dry, I find resources, I find people that are going further than I have ever been or, you know, people that inspire me specifically in that area of intimacy with God. And so that often keeps me going because, again, the whole concept of appetite, I am, I, I'm consistently stirring up the appetite for God. And right. I believe that you become the sum total eventually of what you listen to. In fact, how you feel right now is probably a sum total in some way or average of what, who and what you've been fellowshipping with over the last few days. So the more you start to connect yourself with people that are on fire for God, resources that ignite your heart. It's very difficult to get it to the place where you just, you know, remain, stay disconnected from God. And if intimacy with God is your priority, it's very difficult to get to a place where you just disconnect from God. Because again, I've realized the more of God you encounter, the more of him you realize you have no idea about. And so it just keeps stirring this kind of cycle of pressing deeper into him. And so uh, like the disciples of John said, the disciples of Jesus said, when he preached that hard sermon about eating his body and his blood and all that stuff, you know, says, well, who else can we go to? You're the one that has the words of eternal life. It, there's that sense that at this point in time, I've, I ha there's no option for me. There's nothing else. I have seen too much. I've tasted too much to be able to just say, oh, you know what? I can't be bothered with this prayer thing anymore. Even if the person I pray for dies next, I, I've seen too much for me to just go, you know what, God, I can't bother with you anymore. I'm just getting back to the rest of my life. No, no, no. That, there's no choice for me anymore now because I have been ruined by intimacy with God and the reality of who he is that it doesn't matter if he doesn't answer my next prayer the way I want to. I am sold out for the rest of my days. Yeah, very, very good. So if I was going to summarize that in what I'm hearing is it's the foundation is intimacy. So the love relationship is what keeps drawing you back in but then that you build certain rhythms into your life because the rhythms sustain relationships. It's the same in a marriage for Esther and I, our rhythms of where we talk, where we have a day off, when we're together, those rhythms based on our priorities are sustaining a healthy relationship. Um, and then if appetite does weaken at any point, because in any relationship you can, you can have a hit, you can have an attack, you can just feel weary, you have to then go back and do the things you did at first, which helps awaken desire. I also love your comment that we are a, t a sum total of what we absorb from the world around us. 
uh, which I think some people can be their own worst enemy. They want to live this life uh, uh, kind of on fire for God, doing what he's called them to do, uh, a radical prayer life. Uh, and, and they also want to watch all the Netflix programs and everything <laughs> yes. else that's there. And the two don't go hand in hand. And I've, I've been criticized by people saying, you're too legalistic. And my response is, I'm not being legalistic. I just found a purpose to live for and a, a God to live for that would make me say no to lots of lesser things that will not help me sustain the life that God is calling me to, which would lead me to a question here. And I know the answer. So, but I'll, I'll ask it anyway. Uh, is prayer and fasting a means to an end? In other words, revival. So we pray and we fast because we want revival to come. Or is the praying and the fasting a means in its own right? In other words, it's the end itself. It's not, it's not the means to something, even though it does do that. But it's actually the, and I know the answer, but I'll let you speak into it. Absolutely, you're right. Because often, oftentimes you find that believers have that mindset. Okay, now we're going to pray because we want this. And then when that thing passes, then the prayer intensity drops. And so prayer becomes this up and down and up and down. And so the intensity of the prayer is often dependent on the crisis on hand. And I often say, show me the person that can pray intensely without crisis. And I show you the person that's rightly positioned to handle the crisis when it arises. And so God is not a vending machine. And so prayer is not something we just do because we want this and then when that's done then we just get on with the rest of our lives god wants relationship and if you think about your relationships the ones that mean a lot to you you don't just go to them when you need them to do something for you you, you know you you spend time with them whether you have needs or not and so that's the way i see this and so in agreement to what you said, I believe prayer is not just something we do to get a result. It's actually an end in and of itself, communion with God, because that's that's part of one of the main reasons why we're created, to commune with our creator. And prayer is one of the best ways to do that. In fact, uh, I'll, I'll say this quickly. Uh, you know, we say that saying uh, as Christians all the time, Christianity is about, you know, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. But where is relationship realized? Relationship is truly realized in the context of communication. And so you can't tell me you have relationship relationship with God if there is no communication going on. And actually, you can't tell me you have a relationship with God if when he calls you, you can't recognize him calling you. Because what kind of relationship is that? If you, I mean, if, uh, Steve, if Esther called you on the phone, she doesn't need to say it's Esther. Even if you didn't know it was her calling, you would recognize the voice because of the built history you've had over the decades you've been together. And so in the same way, when you develop relationship, it goes beyond needs. It goes beyond all these things. And so you can recognize when he's speaking to you because the, the foundation is not just, oh yeah, I'm just going to come to you when I need something. In, in fact, sorry, I'm going on here. <laughs> it's only babies that do that. It's only because yeah. I've got a baby. She's one year old. I mean, thank God. I mean, I'm just massively in love with her and she's amazing and everything, but she cries when she needs anything. And that's what she does. Her own life revolves around her. Could it be that you've been a Christian for 10, 15 years and your whole spiritual journey just revolves around you and you're still in spiritual diapers? It's possible because you're still acting like a baby and all you're thinking about is you, whereas the father wants you to graduate from that and to begin to pick up what's on his heart. And you realize prayer is not just about you meet uh, uh, him meeting your needs. Actually, he gets a place in prayer where he begins to use you to meet his needs for his kingdom in the earth. And so many Christians just use God to get something, even to get the anointing or whatever. And God is like, actually, I've got a purpose at hand. I've got a kingdom that needs to advance. Are you ready yeah. to serve in that kingdom? And if you say yes, then there's going to be consecration requirements for it. Yeah. It's probably a good point to make, which I live with this. Even though we've got to focus on revival, we know that we want that to happen. The Lord wants that to happen. That our aim isn't revival. 
we, we don't have an, this idolatry of revival. Uh, our, our real aim is this one thing life of loving God, loving him first, loving him most, and then to see his mission on the earth, his story unfold. And a part of that story is a move of God where the, the nations are awakened to the knowledge of who God is. But, uh, you know, I, I'm saying that in terms of helping people understand what we're not after is just, oh, we now have nightly meetings and the presence is strong so we can stop or we've arrived. <laughs> what we're really doing is we're in love with this God man, Jesus Christ, absolutely fascinated with him, in awe of him. We realize he has an unfolding story upon the earth. And we're a part of his story. Absolutely. So revival isn't our idol. It's not what we're running after. We do believe it's promised. We do believe it's scriptural. Psalm 67, may the nations, every tribe and every tongue praise you. Uh, Habakkuk 2.14, the earth will be filled with the glory of the knowledge of the Lord. So we want that, those scriptural promises to be manifest in our day. But ultimately, it's so that God's story and God's mission is fulfilled. And I guess that's what you're saying, that we're not just uh, on this pendulum up and down, but actually we're caught up with God. We love him. And then we're building lifestyles around him, our creator, our lover, the one we're going to spend eternity with. Uh, but it begins here and now. Yes, and yes, so, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I'm just echoing what you're saying, but um, we're on the same page with slightly different language and slightly different callings, which is where the richness is. So as I listen to you, I'm, I'm provoked and I'm inspired. And also what I see is kind of made a, a fuller, completer picture as well. Um, for anybody who sees this as extreme, you know, we're talking about fasting, uh, praying, uh, and you know, in our own church culture, movement family here, uh, there are people who will fast weekly. There are people who fast every other day. There are people who have just taken on a fasted life, certain things they won't touch or go near. And they, it's just their way of saying, Lord, I'm living this way for you. Uh, I, I, I want to ask you, if somebody looks at all of this and says, you guys are just extreme. I'm saved by God's grace and he loves me. I don't need to do all of that. Or... I want to do some of that. Where do I begin? Either one of those questions. What would you say? Uh, first one, I don't want to do it. Um, what would you say to those? It's too extreme. Yeah, I think you've you made reference to some people saying to you, oh, this is all legalistic. Oftentimes it's because they've not called vision of what is possible and what God wants to actually release through us, what is possible through a life that's fully surrendered to God. You know, he has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. That's past tense. However, how that blessing is manifesting in terms of his presence and his power on earth, for many of us, we're not seeing that manifest to the degree we know it's possible. And it's not his fault, it's actually our surrender. And so it's not radical when you think about what's available to us and what he wants to release through us and you know our ability just to say yes and just agree with him and what he can do all we're doing is saying yes and that yes could mean no to tv that yes could be fasting for 40 days that yes could be whatever the point is we're just saying yes and if you put that in the context of i always like to use this illustration of olympic athletes or athletes in general when they're preparing for something significant like say the olympics you know you don't prepare for the olympics the day before the olympics it's like years in advance they have a vision they want to win the gold medal so 
that vision dictates their lifestyle. And so they start to eat a certain way, exercise, and they wake up at a certain time. And all these things start to go on. Now, if you were to stop that Olympic athlete, you know, because he woke up at 5 a.m. and he's exercising for an hour and then going for another exercise in the midday, and you're like, hey, come on, this is a bit too extreme. You know, just chill out. You know, this is legalistic. He's going to look at you like you've lost your mind because his lifestyle is dictated by the vision of what you can see ahead of him. Remember what Paul says, you know, letting go of all those things that are around and pressing on towards the mark of the high calling. If you're going to press on, it means there's resistance. <laughs> and so we are pressing towards that mark of the high calling in Christ. And that would determine, that would mean certain areas of our lives begins to be narrowed down. And to others, it might look extreme, but whatever it takes, I just want to have all that God has for me on this side of eternity. I don't want to get to heaven and go, oh Lord, I missed out because I was watching Netflix all day or whatever. So I, I'm ready to do whatever. And if the world calls it extreme, well, that's their business. I just want to do everything I can do in my obedience for God to do what he can do through me for the sake of the world. Yeah, very, very good. And I guess we've answered the second part of that question. Where do we begin? It, the foundation of worship and intimacy. Uh, and then we grow into the place that God calls us to be. When I was younger, I was like, if I was going to do something, my wife still says it, I'm extreme. I remember as a 14-year-old with a bunch of other teenagers, I said to them, well, okay, we're all going to read the New Testament in two weeks. Uh, I've worked it out. That means that you're going to read 20 chapters a day. We can all do it. Nobody watches TV. We're all doing this. And uh, the, the challenge is you miss a day, you've got 40 chapters to read. <laughs> but, so I, 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 by nature, am this extreme, let's do everything all at once. But over the years, I've realized that the better way to be is small steps in the right direction over a long period of time. So sustainable habits, sustainable rhythms, starting you know, to somebody who hasn't had a life of prayer to say on a morning, why not get up 15 minutes earlier or 20 minutes earlier, pick up the Bible for 10, pray for 10, uh, and just start that and build it as a rhythm and see where the Lord will take you as you begin. If you've been doing that, then you might say, well, let me, let me just bring in fasting by uh, one of the kind of the simpler but achievable ways is uh, fasting from tea time one day to tea time the next day. It's a great place to start. You eat your evening meal and then you don't eat again till the next evening meal. And you build that in as a weekly rhythm. It's very good for your health and very good spiritually, but you make sure in between in that time that you are a person that is praying, opening up the scriptures. We're not a starving movement. We're a prayer and fasting movement. And sometimes it's easy to not eat and feel good about not eating or feel bad about not eating, but actually not having prayed. So using the times when you would normally eat to go be with the Lord, go for a walk, sit in the car if you're at work, you can get out, um, but creating spaces to be with him. James, it's, it's been an absolute delight. I'll just, I'm going to allow you to make a comment at the end, anything you want to say. But before I let you do that, I will just ask you, if people want to connect with you or connect with Prayerstorm or learn more, how can they do that? Oh, well, I, we're just very easy to find. By the way, I'm the only one in the world with my name, James Aladron. Apart from my son, he's got that as his middle name, James. His name, his first name is Justice. So I'm very easy to find is all I'm trying to say. James Aladron. So you just type that online. And uh, the ministry at least is called Prayer Storm. And we've got lots of things on YouTube and, you know, and online. So we know how to find or connect with online. So you can find us on all the social media platforms as well. Or most of them. Great. Apart from TikTok. Sure. We're not there yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm not there either. But... um. <laughs> 
just a closing comment for people as they finish up this time with us today. Is there a thought that you would like to leave them with? I think uh, a lot of the things that we've already talked about, it's, it's such a huge thing for me today. And it's that consistency and longevity that we need to commit ourselves to the long haul. Um, you know, like you said at the start of this podcast, we may see the explosion of revival in our lifetime. We may not see the fullness of it, but we're going to commit to sow the seeds in our time. And if it's going to take 15 years, 10 years, five years, I don't know. I just want to know I'm giving everything. And so commit yourself to the long haul. How you run a marathon is different to how you run a 100 meters sprint. And so your mindset is different. And if you think this is, you're in this for the long haul, then like, uh, like Steve said, you're going to start to form habits that will sustain that mindset of, okay, I mean this for a long haul, not just because I went to a conference and got excited and, you know, I'm going to pray for five hours and then, you know, and then the next week I have no prayer life because I'm just burnt out. No, you have to have that consistency. And so I want to just call people to that life. And in that place, God to speak to you and you find that your life starts to get more focused on what he's calling you to do. Well, James, it's an absolute um, privilege to have spoken with you uh, for this program. Really appreciate your life and your example uh, and appreciate the voice that you are, not only in the UK, but beyond that. And just asking God to bless you as, as you do your part in his kingdom to help birth the move of God. Um, I, and I don't just believe in, the, in this nation, but in the nations of the world. Um, so thank you for your time today. Thank you for all that you're doing. I look forward to catching up with you soon. Thank you for having me. encourage you that the Revival Podcast is on iTunes, on Google, on Spotify. We're also posting the videos up onto YouTube. So do make sure you follow us on all of those platforms that you use.